Jesus said to the disciples, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you pay careful attention to the Passion reading for this Good Friday, beginning at the start of John chapter 18 and going through to the end of John 19, you will notice that the reading begins in a garden. The same garden where the disciples were used to gathering and listening to their Lord, something that was a place that was well known to all of them. The Garden of Gethsemane, we know it uh, from other Gospels. When Jesus had spoken these words, including the ones that you just heard at the beginning of the sermon, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kedron, where there was a garden. Except that this garden is going to become the Garden of Betrayal. The same place that was so known and beloved by the disciples would be the site where Judas would come and bring the guards who would come to take Jesus away. Because if you think back, this is how we got in this mess to begin with, is in a garden where there was a betrayal. Once more, we betrayed God to the tempter. Someone came along who said, why don't you go ahead and do the thing God said not to do? And we did it. And in that moment, the first man and the first woman were cast out of God's presence in that garden, which was sealed, flaming swords like an angel, similar to an angel that would appear at an empty tomb on an Easter morning. But the man and the woman found themselves alone. Because alone, you see, doesn't mean by yourself. You might say, well, Adam and Eve were together. How could they be alone? And yet once they found themselves no longer walking in the cool of the garden in the presence of God, they learned for the first time what being alone really meant. You can be with other people and be alone. If you didn't think that was possibility before March 14th or 15th, you've probably thought more and longer and harder about it now. It's been great this week. We've been able to get together by Zoom. We can see a lot of people up on the side of the screen or maybe the top, depending on how you have your landscape on your screen organized. We can still see each other. We can talk to each other, but we're not together. Can't touch each other. Even if we were together, we wouldn't be allowed to shake hands. And so we've learned that you don't have to be completely cut off to know what it's like to be alone. I was talking the other week, and Deb was as well, with our, our former director of world missions, who's now working as a counselor, because it's actually his background. And uh, he calls and checks up with missionaries throughout the year just to see how their families are doing and how they are doing, especially if they're, if they're cut off or far from home. And we were talking about the coronavirus, and John and his wife happened to be in one of those at-risk categories. And he talked to his kids about what would happen if he were to get sick and if he did find himself in an ICU. Yes, his pastor wouldn't be able to come and visit, as I'm often used to doing with people that have been in the ICU in the past. His family wouldn't be able to visit either. He would, from an outside world perspective, seem to be alone. 
And yet John reminded us of that passage that I shared right at the beginning of our sermon reflection, where Jesus says, even though you are all going to be scattered and you are going to go off to your own homes and you're going to leave me at the cross, even so, I will not be alone because the Father is with me. So, once again, John, echoing the words of Jesus to his disciples hours before his death, that would come in the Garden of Betrayal and where it would all begin. Now, if you noticed that not only does the reading begin in a garden, it also ends in a garden. John is consciously structuring his gospel in such a way that we've got gardens all over the place. And so the passion of Jesus begins with a garden of betrayal, and it ends in a garden of burial. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Anyone who's familiar with the story of the fall into sin from the garden has got to be picking up on the garden business all over the place. In fact, in Orthodox iconography, and I don't know if Avery is on our call tonight, but he would be the expert at pointing this out. If you see an Orthodox crucifixion scene, you'll see at the bottom of the cross a skull and crossbones. Now, you might have thought to yourself, well, obviously, it's the place of a skull. That's where Jesus was crucified. There's, there's death all around. It seems fitting that you would have the Jolly Roger cross bones and a skull there at the foot of the cross. But in ancient Christian thought, Golgotha is also the place where Adam was buried. And the connection that's being made there was that this was just outside the garden that Adam and Eve were kicked out of in the first place, and that it's there that the cross is mounted on which Jesus dies. And so in Eastern Orthodox iconography, in this garden, beneath the cross is the skull and the crossbones of Adam. Some of you might know the old evangelical hymn, I Come to the Garden Alone. And indeed, Adam and Eve did leave the garden alone. It was just the two of them. No longer did they walk with God in the cool of the garden. Jesus left the garden of Gethsemane without his disciples, purposefully protecting all of them. And Jesus's body is going to be left in a tomb all alone. And yet Jesus has said, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. These gardens were not places of loneliness for the one who is the eternally begotten son of the Father. He maintains his close presence with the Father who has sent him into this world in order that you and I might be redeemed, and that Adam and Eve might be redeemed, and that all those who have placed their trust and faith in the words of the prophets and now place their trust and faith in the cross of Jesus would also be redeemed. The garden in which Jesus' body is laid is not a symbol of the abandonment of God, but rather his close presence. And very soon, in a couple days' time, 
we'll gather together once more in that garden. And it's going to become a place where a grieving Mary will find the Lord that she thought she had lost, where before it was Adam and Eve that were trying to get lost from God. But we won't get ahead of ourselves. That's another garden for another day. Now, we talked about the passion narrative starting with the garden and ending with the garden, a garden of betrayal, and then ending with the garden of burial. But of course, the story of the human race didn't actually begin in a garden with loneliness. It started in a garden in which everything was perfect. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The garden that Jesus is bringing us back to is not the garden of Gethsemane, and it's not the garden in which his body is laid to be buried. It is the garden that precedes the fall of Adam and Eve, our first parents, into sin. It is that garden in which we are able to walk with God once more and walk with each other without having the social distance because there won't be any more viruses or cancer or disease or violence or persecution. But the garden that is yet to come will be even better because it's an urban garden. It's a garden in the middle of a city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, John writes in Revelation, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Because of Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, the garden of the world has become a garden of loneliness and aloneness. But when Jesus entered that garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he would end up in a garden being entombed, he did it knowing that he was restoring the garden that was there in the very beginning. So that once more, God would be able to be with us and we would be able to be with him. So the reality of Good Friday is that because of the cross, even if we find ourselves by ourselves, we will never be alone again. Amen.